80% of the time, Roger, the tenant has the advantage. No matter what the economy is, no matter what's going on, they just don't know it. It's like being the strongest man in the room and they don't they don't know they got the muscles. They don't know they can outlift the landlord because they are intimidated by the landlord. They've never gone through this process before. Sometimes it's a team poised against the tenant. It's the, it's the landlord, it's the landlord's attorney, it's their leasing rep, it's their property manager. And there sits a person wanting to open his first or second restaurant, right? Not knowing what's real and what he can negotiate. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for being with us. The vast majority of restaurants out there are leaseholds. They're in leased spaces. And very few of us maybe are experts at negotiating a lease, knowing the ins and outs of what to look for, the right questions to ask. It can be really uncomfortable to negotiate your best deal. But before you can, you need to know everything there is to know about a lease. And that is exactly what this episode is about. With me is a leasing expert. We're going to cover all the bases, so you're not going to want to miss it. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Listen, I am a huge believer that service is your restaurant's greatest competitive advantage. But we all know that service takes time and commitment, dedication. Well, what if there was a training tool, a single tool that was completely customized to your restaurant brand, your menu? Let's start with photos of the plate presentations, ingredients, romance notes, allergens, everything that's important that your staff need to know to present and bring to life your menus for your guests. That includes your wine and beer list, specialty cocktails, everything at their fingertips. Imagine in the back of house that cooks, your new prep cooks, or anyone can instantly look at the photos, a list of ingredients with prep times and cooking steps, all the important things to produce each dish to perfection. Imagine there's also table layouts of every dining space in your restaurant with table numbers, and even seat numbers, because we all know how important it is to deliver the right dish to the right guest. This is a tool designed to enhance hospitality in your restaurant, not replace it. Learn more at servenow.com. That's S-R-V-N-O-W.com. Check it out. I call this the business of a thousand details, and you've got more important things to worry about than calculating and paying your monthly sales tax on time. Well, that's where Davo comes in. Davo puts sales tax on autopilot for restaurants. Davo uses sales tax data from your point of sale system to set aside the exact amount of sales tax you collect every single day and then files it and pays it when it's due on time for your restaurant every month. Davo takes just five minutes to set up and once it's up and running, you never have to worry about paying sales tax again. Davo costs $49.99 per POS connection per month, and your restaurant can try Davo for the first 30 days free. Davo was created by a successful restaurant chef and owner who knows what's important for your operation. Time is money, and you've got more important things to focus on, like pleasing your guests. You can't put a price on peace of mind. Why not try Davo for the first 30 days at DavoSalesTax.com? Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. And with me today is Mr. Dale Willerton, and he is also known as the Lease Coach. So this is going to be a very robust episode all about leases and negotiating and all the empty space out there right now. Unfortunately, due to lots of closed restaurants, there is a lot of opportunity to get into this business or to find additional spaces. And 
you know, not any of us are really experts on negotiating leases, but Dale certainly is. So welcome to the show, Dale. Thank you, Roger. I was hoping that one day I would become famous enough to appear on Restaurant Rockstars. Oh, you're too kind. And I made it. Kind. I made it. Oh, I know. Well, Dale, you're the author of a book, and it's called, um, obviously, Negotiating Leases, Commercial Leases and Renewals for Dummies. I mean, everyone's heard of the series for dummies. So this is great. I'd like to talk a little bit about this as we get into it. But as my guests know, we always start with the backstory of my guest. And where did it all begin for you? Well, fortunately, a lot of my education came from working on the landlord side of the table. I used to be a shopping mall manager. I used to be a leasing rep for landlords. It was my job to collect the rent. I did all the dirty work for the landlord and and I got to see what was going on behind the scenes. And I was sitting behind my desk as a mall manager in a shopping mall in 1993 and thought, you know, landlords don't really need my help. They've got plenty of people to help them. It's the tenant. It's these tenants that come through my door and say all kinds of things they shouldn't be saying and giving me information and leaving a lot of money on the table. So in 1993, I stopped working for landlords. I became a professional lease consultant, started giving seminars. Uh, The book that you just held up, my Four Dummies book, is actually my third book. Okay. You know, I've done this a few times. This is my 30th year in business. So uh, it's absolutely phenomenal to be working on the tenant side. It's, It's much more enjoyable to hit a home run for a tenant. Well, hallelujah to that. Now, we all know that there's lots of opportunity right now, but is it a good time for tenants to be looking for leases? Do they have any kind of advantage over landlords simply because there is a lot of space vacant that landlords want to lease? 80% of the time, Roger, the tenant has the advantage. No matter what the economy is, no matter what's going on, they just don't know it. It's like being the strongest man in the room and they don't, they don't know they got the muscles. They don't know they can outlift the landlord because they are intimidated by the landlord. They've never gone through this process before. Sometimes it's a team poised against the tenant. It's the, it's the landlord. It's the landlord's attorney. It's their leasing rep. It's their property manager. And there sits a person wanting to open his first or second restaurant, right? Not knowing what's real and what he can negotiate. So, uh, yes, it's, it, it's a great time economy-wise to go out and lease space. But as you know, certain restaurant cuisines, certain categories within, within the restaurant uh, category are uh, doing better than others as we come off the pandemic. For sure. Absolutely true. You know, this brings me back. It had to be 25 years ago, and I knew absolutely nothing about the restaurant business, and I was in that person's shoes. And of course, negotiating a lease, I had never done that before, and I had a partner, and the two of us saw a space. Well, you know, we walked away from a couple of spaces. The very first space had a certain, you know, monthly square footage, but then there were very expensive fit-ups because it was a raw building that was just put up. And we suddenly realized, okay, it's going to take a lot of money to put in all these fit-ups. And then you can't take those away when you leave, when the lease is over and the next tenant benefits from your fit-ups and all that sort of thing. But the location was absolutely stellar. So, you know, tenants run into this problem all the time. And, And what I'd really like to get into is, there's sort of a balance between the cost of a lease versus the location. And you got to weigh all those options and, and 
sort of evaluate what are the chances of my business being really successful in this location versus that location. Take us through that whole mindset before we get into the negotiating process. When people are just driving around in their cars and they're looking at spaces before they even talk to anybody, what should go through a, you know, a, a new business operator's head in terms of evaluating spaces? I just finished speaking at the New York restaurant show for the 12th year in a row, I think. And one of the things I really drove home with these startup restaurant owners is that they they really have to decide in advance, are they going to go for first generation space or are they going to go for second generation restaurant space? Because the cost of building the moat is going to be a lot different, right? If if we're taking a, a, a raw shell or a vanilla box, uh, the bathrooms have to be put in, every, every, the wiring, sometimes the, the, you know, the HVAC, I'm doing one deal right now, and the landlord's giving the, the space to the tenant in such a raw condition that the tenant is actually responsible for installing the HVAC systems, okay, which most of the time the HVACs are already there. Right, you would so, you would hope so for sure. I yes. mean, that's a, that's a basic, absolute essential. The heat and you know ventilation and air conditioning, all that kind of stuff that that could be extremely expensive for a tenant to have exactly. to pay for, exactly. especially if it's a lease and you don't own the property. Well, see, even if the even if the landlord is willing to contribute tenant allowance or money to offset mm-hmm. the cost of the HVAC installation, the, the the tenant may not be sophisticated enough and comfortable enough to start going to that extent. Right. You know, if, if it's an existing restaurant location, you can walk in and kick the tires. You can check the bricks and mortar. Everything's there. So you have to make that decision. Which, which way am I going to go? First generation, uh, you know, brand new raw space or second generation space. Once you do that, then you really have to decide if you're going to um, use a broker or not. OK, because a lot of times. Use uh, when a tenant tells when I ask a tenant, Roger, why why do why are you using this broker? They'll say, Well, Dale, it was actually kind of an accident. I went to see his listing; it wasn't good for me. He said he'd show me a couple of other locations, and before you know it, you're working together, and th- this broker is you know representing you one way or the other, and, and that really wasn't your intention because uh, when it comes to commercial real estate, there's a lot of commissions being paid, and there's commission splitting, mm-hmm. and the frustration level uh, the frustration level that restaurant tenants tell me about when they work with brokers uh, is, is not surprising because remember the, the broker is getting paid by the landlord, right? I don't call myself a tenant rep because the, the commercial brokers in the industry who do call themselves tenant reps still get paid by the landlord. And I think that then it becomes an oxymoron. I see. Right. Yeah. right? It, it just, it just doesn't work. So, so they, they have to make that decision, whether they're going to get a broker and, you know, choosing the size of the space they want. Here's what happens in the real world, Roger. You start looking at places in various plazas. You might have your site set on 2,800 square feet. That, that's the size you think you need for your restaurant. But the only thing available is 3,400 square feet or 1,800 square feet. So autom- instantly you begin compromising on what would have been your idea deal size. And remember, you're paying the rent per square foot. If you can drive a minivan, you don't want to have to pay the rent on driving a bus. Of course. Well, that brings up an interesting point because a lot of um, potential new operators aren't really thinking ahead to, okay, what if I'm super successful and I want to expand? If the space is too small, maybe it's worth paying a little bit more now to have the room to add more tables later and the cash flow, if the place is successful, will more than cover that. I mean, you got to look at so many different things when evaluating a space. 
Absolutely. And, you know, the, 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 the broker is getting paid uh, a commission based on the, the total rent that you're going to pay. So they're never going to talk you down from 3,000 square feet to 2,000 square feet because that really cuts into their commission, right? They expect you to know that and understand it. What you said is correct, but here's the real world scenario. Yeah. Nine, nine out of 10 restaurant tenants that come to me because they want me to negotiate their lease renewal or, or, or they're opening up another one, they, nine out of 10, and tell me if they could, they would shed some square footage. 90% would rather be smaller than bigger. In these times, okay. nimbler is better, of course. Yes. And, and, and it, it often harkens back to their sense of optimism. Okay. It's 400 square feet too big, but you know, we're going to grow into it. We're going to make it work, you know, but after five years, maybe not. Not answering your phone is one of the quickest ways for your restaurant to lose a potential customer. But between serving in-person customers and dealing with the kitchen, it's hard for staff to prioritize incoming calls. That's why your restaurant needs pop menu answering. Simple questions that keep your phone line tied up can be handled without pulling a staff person from your in-person hospitality. Reclaim the power of your phone. Pop Menu Answering is powered by artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions most people call in with, like, do you have outdoor seating or what are your hours? Within the Pop Menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear, plus create customized greetings. Pop Menu Answering picks up your phone 24-7, 365 days a year, turning every phone call into an opportunity. Plus, Pop Menu's full collection of tools helps optimize your restaurant's website and menu, streamlines your ordering experience, and assists in retargeting to enable you to build long-lasting relationships with your guests. Get help answering your restaurant's calls now with Pop Menu Answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month plus an unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash rockstars. Let's talk about opportunity because that word came up when we first started this. Obviously, there are a lot of spaces that are for lease and no time can I remember in history, and you may or may not agree with this, have there been more spaces that already have furniture and fixtures and range hoods and walk-ins? Because if you can find a space that was a previous restaurant, a lot of these things are not takeaway items. They're literally built into the space. Are you seeing that? Yes, you're absolutely right. And you know, in, in our industry, it's called, uh, tur- uh, you know, the, the landlord will often charge a turnkey fee as well, right? The previous restaurant tenant failed right, and left right. behind their, their hood and their grease trap and maybe even their tables and chairs and all kinds of other things, or maybe the landlord locked them out, right? They didn't pay the rent. Correct. And so now the landlord says, well, I'll, I'll lease you my space, but I want $85,000 of turnkey money because you're going to get to use my equipment now. Or, oh, wow. I see. You that. see? Mm. And, and I, was doing a, I was doing a lease renewal for one yep. of my multi-unit restaurant clients in California recently. And right on the last page of his lease agreement, Roger, it said, this is all the equipment that's in this space when you take over. Okay, so when you're signing your lease and you're taking over, this is all the equipment that's in this space and it's owned by the landlord. Right. Well, eventually that equipment starts falling apart and breaking down and you have to replace it and you have to repair it. So as part of his lease renewal, I negotiated with the landlord to sell him the equipment for one dollar. Okay, so he now owns all of that equipment. Now, the equipment doesn't have that much value, but at a point in time where he goes to sell his restaurant, he can't even claim those those are his assets until we did this in the lease. 
This is really interesting. Let's just go back to that $85,000 turnkey fee you talked about. Mm -hmm. Let's just say a restaurant, um, a new restaurant or uh, the person that negotiates the lease agrees to that and then something breaks down. Does that mean that that landlord is on the hook to repair it or replace it or make it work because I'm now paying for the use of that equipment? Does, Does that work that way? No, the tenant is 100% responsible, no not only to ensure the equipment, but yeah. to make sure it's working properly wow. and to re- return it to the landlord in the same condition. Let's let's get in negotiation now, because it seems yeah. like a perfect gear change. Now, there are a lot of people out there that um, are uncomfortable in these types of you know positions, and that's why you're an expert at this. But some people might be, you know averse to conflict or they just don't like these heated discussions yet you have to have a certain negotiating approach and style you can't just walk in there and just expect that everything's going to work out in your favor but negotiation really in the best of senses means a win-win you know the landlord wins the tenant wins everybody's happy and that would be a perfect world scenario you probably don't see that a lot but it'd be great if that's what we're shooting for what are the keys to negotiating? And, and part of your book talks about having your ducks in order before you walk in to approach the broker mm-hmm. or or the property manager or the landlord. And you know you have to have a certain savviness about you. You've got to have your homework done. You've got to be knowing what you're looking for and be able to take a firm stance. It's kind of like a poker game. You've probably heard that analogy before. Mm-hmm. A lot of bluffing goes on, doesn't it? Well, that's right. And, you know, I just booked a a trip to Vegas. I speak at conventions there and I'm not a gambler, but if I was a gambler, I don't think I would be bluffing as a strategy, right? So one of the things tenants need to do is they need to negotiate on multiple locations simultaneously. If you're focusing all your efforts on one location, it's hard to get some traction. No leverage there. Yeah. No leverage. Exactly. Uh Uh And, and so Um, what I see tenants doing that really cripples them is they call up the real estate agent or they go to see the space and they say, you know, I I think I'd like to lease this space. I'm going to open up an Italian restaurant. And now because you're kind of asking if you can do that, if that's your approach, you're asking, um, they come back and say, well, you're going to have to earn it. Let's see your profit. Let's see your financials. Let's see your net worth. Let's, you know, what's your, what's your restaurant experience? What I do, if, I, if I'm contacting, if I'm doing site selection and contacting a, a, a broker, right? Because typically 90% of the properties have a four lease signed by a broker on, on the window. And that's of who course. I contact. Yep. And I contact them and I say, uh, Mr. Broker, do you think the landlord would like to have an Italian restaurant in this location? Yeah, we really would. Okay. So now you see, I've got something they want. If you go to them and say, I want to lease your space, well, they're going to put you through hoops and loops. The important thing is to you want to be the, 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 the batter, not the pitcher. You want them, you know, the tenant is the landlord's customer, but you've got to act like the customer. You know, there's something also in the book that says the customer is always right, but that is not necessarily the approach to have when you try to negotiate a lease. Well, what would you say about that? What do you think? Well, it's surprising how many tenants say to me, Dale, I just want a win-win deal. Okay. There's, you've heard of the book, win-win negotiating. Well, I don't believe in Roger. I don't believe in win-win negotiating. I want to get my client, the tenant as much as I can. If I can get them nine months of free rent and a $300,000 tenant allowance and all kinds of landlord work done to the space and new HVAC systems, you know, that may not be win-win, but I'm in it to win for the tenant. Okay. If, If I, you know, tenants compromise all the time. A tenant will frequently sign a deal they later regret. 
Landlords never sign a deal they regret. Landlords know when to stop. You see? So if I over ask, like, like I, I, I share this story and usually get a, a pretty good chuckle out of it because I, a franchise tenant, he had three locations and he said, Dale, uh, I'm going to open up three more locations. I want you to do my site selection, start looking for spaces. Don't show me any location where I can't have at least three months of free rent. Okay. So I went out and did my work. Three weeks later, I come back to him. And I said, here's, here's the stack of locations. This is the one I'd like to talk to you about first. I said, but you know, I did not get you three months of free rent. He said, well, I'm, he was livid. He said, I don't even want to look at it. I said, no, hold on. I got you 12 months of free rent, five-year lease with the first 12 months free. He was flabbergasted. Dale, how did you get me 12 months of free rent? I said, well, you're going to have to pay me more if you want to know that. You know? And after he stopped laughing, I said, no, I asked for 18. I asked for 18 months of free rent and got 12. See, he would have asked for three because that's what he wanted. And he would have gotten two or one and thought he did pretty good. So too often the tenants are too timid or they're just not that knowledgeable about how much they can ask and negotiate for. And they tend to ask for what they want. And then when the landlord counter offers, the tenant gets less than they want, right? So if my client needs a $100,000 tenant allowance, I'm probably asking or negotiating or offering for 150. Now, that's so interesting because if I brought you as my expert in, you could shoot for the moon and the landlord is literally, you know, like you said, we're in a position of leverage, especially if we're looking at multiple spaces. But if I was to walk in there by myself and ask for the moon, more than likely that broker representative, the property manager, the landlord himself will say, yeah, right. Are you crazy? What are you thinking? But in these mm -hmm. times, Dale, is it really that realistic? Are there that many spaces in certain areas of this country where the tenants are really in that kind of driver's seat position? Are you seeing that? Not to the extent that one might think. Like we went through hell the last couple of years, right? I mean, this, this was a oh, crazy yeah. devastating. Time. Mm -hmm. um, but no, because I work right across the country, Roger, I can, you know, there's big differences between, you know, the landlords in New York and the landlords in California and Denver and that right. type and of thing. Right, and the Midwest so and everything in between, that, right? There, there are certain areas where the tenant can literally write their own check. They can, they can, they can basically dictate their terms. But some of the tenants that have failed, so some of the restaurant tenants that have left their location, they were in pretty good locations and they've left behind hundreds of thousands of dollars of leasehold improvements and other restaurant tenants will jump in there even if they don't get a really good deal. So it's better than it was before from a tenant's perspective, but not, you know, hmm. not overly. Now let's let's assume that we're a new business operator and we're completely green and we have a dream and we have an idea and we've got some money in our pocket and we've got our financing lined up and everything's rosy so it seems and and we're going in to negotiate uh, a lease for the very first time is it smart or is it reasonable to ask for say a short-term lease to start with option to renew in case things don't work out so you don't get stuck on the hook? Or is it better to ask for an assignment clause or if things don't work out, I can find a new tenant to go in there so I'm not on the hook for you know a three or a five-year lease when this business lasted six months and I'm out? I mean, it's a huge, huge risk, especially if you don't know what you're doing. You know what I mean? What would you suggest? Well, most restaurant tenants borrow money to open their restaurant. And they want to pay that back over a long period of time, mm -hmm. right? Correct. And yep. the bank will often the bank will often say, well, if you want a five-year business loan, 
then you're, you need to show me a five-year lease, right. not a one-year right. lease. Yes. Right? And so if, if, I, if my client is, if we're spending a million dollars or more on, on developing a restaurant concept in a location, we'll typically do a 10-year lease okay, with renewal options. I'm finishing a project literally today for a client in Florida. And of course, Roger, just to put something into perspective, there's 2 million lease renewals in America every year. There's not that many startup new leases. You know, hundred thousand or so, right? So the majority of the people watching That's this are actually are actually uh, existing. You know, they're watching your show because they're an existing restaurant owner mm -hmm. and they may want to open up other locations and such. Yes, right. But the deal that I'm finishing in in Florida right now, so uh, we're doing a five year renew a five year renewal term with a five year option. But I negotiated for the for the tenant to have the unilateral right to terminate the lease with six months notice. Okay, so better to have a long lease with a right to terminate. Yes, I, now then then short leases where they can hold your feet to the fire if uh, you know if, if there's more demand for the space later on. It, it always comes whenever I'm talking to a client. Yesterday I was talking to a client on the phone, and I said, "Okay, tell me this: How many tenants are in your plaza?" You know, and they say, "Well, there's there's 14 tenants in two two buildings, 14 tenants. How many spaces are vacant?" He says, well, four spaces are vacant. I said, okay, we're in the driver's seat. If they've got four spaces they can't fill, they're going to have to earn your tenancy. I'm not going to gift wrap you and hand it to them on a silver platter, right? But if he'd said to me, oh, Dale, this is a wonderful plaza. We never have turnover. Everybody that's been here has been here for more than 10 years. There's no vacancy. Well, that's a much harder hill to climb because the landlord has a property that's desirable. That is a very interesting point about leverage. Is it is the does the research exist and and how can a potential um, business operator figure out which landlords have multiple spaces that are all vacant as a point of negotiation? Walking in knowing this guy wants to lease because I've got five vacant properties right now that I'm trying to fill. Right? Is that readily available yeah. information and where? It, it is the the. The majority of tenants come to me having picked one or two plazas they think would be good for their restaurant, mm -hmm. right? So they have the luxury of being able to drive the plaza, take pictures and send them to me. Okay. And so, so visually they can, they can see, okay, that's vacant. There's a four lease sign in the window or it's papered over. But when they send me pictures or when they, when I, when I investigate the property on, on the, um, on the landlord's website, okay. I can see certain, because we know which industries are weak. And I say, you know, that, 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 that flower shop's probably not going to make it. Okay. It's got 1800 square feet. You could probably get that. If we see a tenant will sometimes say to me, well, I really want to be in Plaza ABC, but there's no vacancy. I say, well, let me call the landlord because that flower shop in Plaza ABC might be hoping and praying someone comes along and takes them out of their misery. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You see, and the landlord says, well, yeah, they've got, still got two years on their term, but they told us they're not going to be renewing. They're not doing that well. So would you like their space? We'll let them out early and you can come in and take their space. So that's part of the process too. 
Is there a benefit? We talk about plazas. Uh, that could be a strip mall. That could be a shopping mall, mm. that sort of thing. Is it a, a good idea because there's such already built in traffic with huge anchor stores that draw huge amounts of traffic versus a standalone location? I mean, every situation is different, but do you see greater successes in these thriving plazas or malls versus, you know, here's a street that seems to have a lot of traffic on it, but it's a standalone building that people may pull into the parking lot. They may not. You got to build the business with branding and marketing and all that other kind of stuff versus people are just going to walk by my shop. And if they like what they see from a curb appeal or a visibility standpoint, they're going to come in. I mean, what would you say? Yes. If, if it's a, um, fast casual or less than a fast casual restaurant, quick service restaurant, because I've, I've never just, you know, been walking through a plaza and, 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 and said, Oh, I'll go in for a steak dinner. Okay. If you're going out for a steak dinner, you typically plan ahead and you know where you're going yeah. and you make a reservation. But if I'm doing site selection in, in, in Chicago for a client and it's one o'clock and I haven't had lunch yet and I'm looking at the fourth plaza for the day and there's, you know, and there's a quick service restaurant, I might go in and, and get something on the fly. So yes, traffic really does count. Um, the, the, the thing that tenants have to watch out for is the lack of parking. Okay. Like I was doing a lease renewal for a, for a restaurant tenant in San Antonio. And this, this was their story, which is so interesting. They said over a period of 15 years in the plaza, the retail tenants were moving out and more restaurant tenants were moving in. So now there was a disproportionate share of restaurant tenants in this plaza. Now, they all had their own cuisines. There was Mexican and Italian and Asian, all different kinds of cuisines. So they weren't competing at that level. Like one restaurant does compete with another. But I said, well, what's the big problem? He said, well, uh, customers will make a reservation at our restaurant. They'll drive up at 7 o'clock in the evening. There's no place to park because it's all restaurants taking all the same parking at all the same time. They walk in and cancel their reservation and drive away. Okay. So in some respects, it's, it's, it, it can be more about the parking than about the foot traffic. It depends where you are. All right. You made it really clear about fast casual in strip malls and, and mm-hmm. shopping malls versus a fine dining experience or a sit down really nice you know, restaurant. We've all seen different areas of the country where certain businesses really thrive when there's lots of competition for that same business, like car dealerships. You'll drive down a street and there'll be 10 car dealerships all on the same strip because they know that car shoppers are going to come to that area and they'll probably visit two or three or four of them. And you know, business drives more business. Does that apply in the restaurant industry? Are there certain areas where it's good to be surrounded by lots of restaurants because people just know that's the area where the restaurants are? Or should you shy away from that as a new operator? Get big flavor without the labor with Smokin' Fast from Smithfield. It's fully cooked or smoked proteins, including American barbecue staples and global flavors. Everything from ribs to pulled chicken to brisket and barbacoa, all are authentically slow-cooked to perfection. It's so delicious your guests will never know it wasn't smoked right in your own kitchen. Now you can add barbecue to your menu without adding a pitmaster to your payroll. Visit smithfieldculinary.com. Short answer is yes, and I'll take you back to when I was a shopping mall manager. And in, in, the, in, the, in the food court, we had like eight tenants, right? And we had the hamburger guy and the pizza guy and the, you know, every different kind of cuisine in the, in the food court. So definitely the, the uh, assortment of variety can make 
you know, can make quite a difference in attracting people. And occasionally my wife and, I'll go, and I will go out for dinner and we say, well, let's just drive over there. There'll be one or two, you know, we'll see which one has the longest lineup or which one we can get into that type mm-hmm. of thing. So, so yes, I think, I think there is a lot to be said for that. Okay. Let's talk about what exactly do you mean in your book by a profitable lease agreement? What does that mean? Well, a profitable lease agreement should be when you sell your business, you you can take your profit and walk away. Okay, I mean you can you can say it's also the the day to day operations, but the the truth is most restaurants are not that profitable on a day to day, month to month, year to year basis. It's a slim five, margin business. That's right. And five or ten or fifteen years later, when they sell the restaurant, that's when they cash out. Restaurant owners often say to me, "This restaurant is my four hundred one k. When I sell, that's when I'll have my money." Because right now, I'm just earning a modest living and I'm yes. working forty five hours yep. a week, and yep. and so on and so on. So a, mm. a profitable location should should simply a profitable lease should simply be that one that allows you to pay a reasonable rent, because in Every industry, every industry um, has a different operating or occupancy cost, as we say. And my point is, most people would would agree that if you, if your restaurant's doing a hundred thousand dollars a month in sales, then about ten percent of that sh- should go can go to gross rent. Ten percent, okay. That's that's a good benchmark. Ten uh, percent. And I've got clients paying 14% and I'm saying, well, are you profitable? And they say, not really. So 14% of their gross revenues is going to the gross rent. I've got clients that are paying uh, seven or 8%. They're doing so well. And and the rent's not an issue for them. Their staffing is their big issue, of course, right now at this point in time. Well, that's more of a balance because again, if you can't find a 10% lease, but you can find a 14, that just means that your food, beverage, and labor costs need to be lower or really, really strong in order to meet that additional, you know, rent cost. Yes. Yes. See, see, it's really important for the, for the listener here to understand there's often two different answers. There's an answer for the startup tenant opening their first restaurant, and there's an answer for the lease renewal tenant. And I'll explain why. The tenant who's been there for five years and wants me to negotiate their lease renewal, we know what their sales have been. Right. We know what the, we can calculate their occupancy cost. Right. And I say, look, you're paying 11.5% right now. If I can get you a rent reduction, you, you know, by this much, you'll be down to paying 9%. Uh, right. The, the startup restaurant, he doesn't know how much his sales are going to be. He, right. So I will be the one to say that, look, if you agree to, uh, you know, to, to, pay $7,000 a month in rent, your business plan has to anticipate that you're going to make $70,000 a month in sales or the math doesn't work. You won't be profitable. So a big part of your business is actually renegotiating leases and getting people better deals than they've had all along. Yeah, with a long-term situation with the same tenant-landlord relationship and suddenly you come in as the expert in their corner working on their behalf and you can often dramatically decrease their costs, get better concessions, all these things because they've been a good tenant. You need that sort of um, ammunition to walk in saying this person's been here for five years and they're a good tenant and they haven't made any problems. They haven't asked for anything unreasonable. They're not annoying their neighbors. People love the business. It's drawing traffic to your property, all that kind of stuff. But I'm sure I'm missing some things, right? But what's your approach? Can you say? well, Well, the tenant doesn't have to be necessarily good, meaning, you know, did they pay their rent? Do they have a good product? Sometimes we get quite a bit of leverage. If the landlord has vacancies in the plaza, 
they want to even keep a poor tenant. Right. So cash ideally, is king. They, keep it cash coming. is king. That's right. So yeah. um, the, the thing that really shocks people is that when I negotiate a lease renewal, 80% of the time, I can get the tenant a rent reduction on their lease renewal. Not 100%. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not Superman, but I do have some superpowers. Yeah. My batting average is about 800. Okay. And then it varies in degree. Sometimes I get them a 20% reduction. Sometimes I only get them a 5% reduction, right? It, it really does vary. But the, the, I approach a lease renewal negotiation and I try to make the landlord re-earn the the renewal as if it was a first time tenant. So I say, well, look, Mr. Landlord, you've got, you've got uh, 15 tenants and three vacancies. If someone was going to lease one of your vacant units, would you give them a tenant allowance? Would you give them a rent-free period? Would you be negotiable on this, this, and this? And the landlord says, well, of course. I said, well, you're going to have to give me that on this lease renewal. I said, because number one, on this lease renewal, you're not paying any commissions right? You're not paying me. I work for the tenant. The tenant's paying my fee. So there's no out-of-pocket money for you. And, it, and it, you know, I was doing a lease renewal for one of my, my franchise clients. 50% of our clients, Roger, are franchise and 50% are independent. And I was doing his lease renewal and the franchisor had a, a corporate mandated remodel, right? If you buy into a franchise restaurant, most of the time you have to remodel every 10 or 15 years. So I went to the landlord and said, well, you know, you're going to have to, so I'm negotiating a renewal. And I said, you're going to have to contribute substantially to this franchise or mandated remodel, or we might as well move across the street because we practically have to build a new store anyway. Right. So the, you know, I was able to, to, you know, to negotiate with a landlord to contribute a $50 per square foot tenant allowance to the renewal. And see, when I give seminars and speak across the country, many times tenants say to me, well, Dale, I never got a tenant allowance on my first lease. How did you get one on a renewal? Right. I remember this one client, he has seven locations. And one of our other coaches and consultants had done his project, but I called him up as part of the service follow-up. And I said, um, what did we do for you? What did the lease coach do for you? He said, we did four things. When you negotiated my lease renewal, you did four things. He said, I was quite surprised that you got me a rent reduction. Okay. He said, I was quite surprised that you got me three months of free rent. Now that free rent, Roger, was so that he could remodel his store and not have to pay rent during those three months. Okay. He said, shockingly, you got my deposit back because why should a tenant have a deposit forever and ever? Amen. And then he said, I couldn't believe it. You negotiated to rescind my personal guarantee. So he said, I'm in much better shape now with this location than any of my other locations. And, and that's, that's sometimes the, the power the tenant has after five or 10 years in the same location, if they've got a good rent payment history and they're operating a good business. The, the, the tenants just don't know that, right? The, the tenants just, you know, the, the tenant calls up the property manager and says, hey, my lease is expiring in nine months. I want to do some painting and remodeling in this space. Can you send over the renewal agreement, right? And the property manager says, well, of course we can, you know, and they type it up with a 10% increase because you just showed all your cards. You just told, right? When I call up a property manager and I say, my, you know, I'm a consultant working for this restaurant uh, tenant. They've been in the plaza for nine years. They're on a 10-year lease. They've been in the plaza for nine years. And I'll say to the property manager, now I know you're out of state, 
but have you ever been to this restaurant? Have you met the tenant in person? He says, I've, I've been there. I met the tenant once when I became the property manager two years ago. I dined there once about a year ago when I came to visit the property. And, and I say, well, uh, again, coming back to what we covered before, do you, you know, do you want this tenant to stay in this location? Right. And, and, and as soon as they say yes, then they have to pitch to us. They have to earn that tenancy. Very good. You're also an advocate of longer leases versus shorter leases, because chances are, you know, there are missing things in a lease. If, if somebody comes across a really short lease, what are some of the things you see missing that really should be in there that could be a surprise down the road? Well, the most comprehensive lease I've ever seen was when we did a, we did a lease for a franchise, a, a restaurant franchise in downtown Disney. It was 102 pages. No, that's kidding. a lot of reading, right? Oh my gosh, now, really? Now I got sent a a lease yesterday for one of my clients in California. It's a yeah. cafe. One of my clients in California. The the lease is nine pages. So I'd rather start with a longer lease because the 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 more things that we pre agree to, the more things that are defined and outlined, you know, the better the agreement and the less room for disagreement in the future. Because when you're arguing with your land, tenants often think, a tenant will say to me, say, well, it, it doesn't say I can't um, do this. It doesn't say I can't put tables and chairs out on the, on the, on the sidewalk. I say, yeah, but it doesn't say you can, mm. right? Mm -hmm. You should have added that in when you signed your first lease. Okay. Tenants, tenants often think that the landlord's going to really give them anything that, that, that seems reasonable when it comes to parking and signage and, 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 and patios and things like that. And there's a lot of disagreements over that. And that's because when I was a property manager, Roger, if you called me and said, Dale, I want to put a great big banner on the front of my space. Okay. I'll say, well, no, Roger, you can't do that because then every other tenant will want to put up a banner. Of course. And if I give you permission, right? So my point is you have to negotiate all of these things in advance. Right. Don't don't say, well, of course, the landlord's going to let me put up a banner. I'll ask them about it once I get my restaurant built. No, we put that into the lease agreement right now. So you obviously have a template of boilerplate things that the you know, that the tenant may probably never think of. But a month from now, they may want that. But you literally have all that preloaded. So think about this. Think about this. Think about this, mm -hmm. because it's too late once you sign on the dotted line and then suddenly you say, hey, I want to put a banner in my building. Yeah. And the landlord, chances are going to say, no, you can't do that because. That's yes. Smart. And, and, and yeah. let, let me give you let me give you the real life example to this. I've got two daughters in their 20s and I've bought them their vehicles. I buy them used vehicles so they can get around town. Yeah, me too. <laughs> before, before we before we buy the vehicle, yeah. we run it over. We, 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 I happen to have a client that owns a, a, an automotive shop. So for a, just under $200, he will do the inspection. Sure. Okay? So yep. he Smart. does the inspection and he, he gives us this list. Everything's all checked off. And I have a similar 39-point lease inspection for the lease, right? And, and it's not that there aren't going to be things we don't want to see in there, but he says, look, you're, you know, your transmission's leaking a little bit, but that'll cost you $400. Mm -hmm. uh, we, you know, you're going to need new tires in two years. Uh, there, there's, you know, the, the brakes are 40% worn, so you're pretty good there for a few more years. And, and, and we have that inspection from him on paper. And we can either use it to negotiate a better deal, or we can simply use it for the peace of mind of knowing what's coming in the future if we do buy this vehicle, 
right? Because it's been inspected. And we do the same thing with a lease agreement because the, the, I do a 39-point lease inspection, uh, write the tenant or give the tenant a written report, and then I spend about an hour to two hours on the phone talking them through it because some of these clauses are not necessarily objectionable. They are rules. And I say to a tenant, this, this 65-page long lease agreement is a list of rules that you're expected to follow. Don't sign it if you're not prepared to follow it. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And a really good, a really good point here is uh, business hours. Because some of my clients are in the downtown and they don't want to be open on the weekends. They want to, they don't want to be open on the evenings. If, if depending what, what market they're servicing, like, like high rises downtown. Certainly. Uh, if, if you're in any kind of a strong retail setting, they're going to expect you to be open seven days a week and maybe from 9 a.m. till 11 p.m. You can't agree to that now if that's not what you intend to do. So we negotiate for the, the tenant to have the right to set their own days and hours of operation. That's very important. Yeah, I can't imagine not reading that in a contract and then suddenly being held to the fire and you don't have business during those hours. Or like you said, you're in a downtown mm -hmm. area and when you know the professionals and all the high-rise people leave, it's like you have no mm -hmm. business on weekends. That makes perfect sense. HVAC systems are a big part of the negotiating equation when it comes to restaurants. Mm -hmm. And I was doing a deal. This happened to be for a franchise tenant in, in Chicago. And I said to him, have you had the HVAC? You're, you're going to lease this location. Have you had the HVAC inspected? He said, no, I haven't. It's going to cost me $300. I don't want to spend that money. Um, but, but they told me that when the previous tenant moved out, it was working fine. So what's the problem? I said, well, look, I think you should spend the $300. Send somebody up on the roof and check it out. Fortunately, there was power to this unit. The power was turned on. So the not only could he go on the roof, but he could go inside and he could try to make the HVAC. He couldn't make the HVAC system. He said, by the way, he said HVACs last for 20 years. This one's at least 22 years old. Yeah. It's already dead, right? Yeah. And so um, we right. went back to the landlord and got the landlord to install a brand new $8,000 HVAC system because we could prove to them on paper with this inspection that it was dead. It wasn't working at all, right? Sometimes we'll negotiate to get a warranty from the landlord on the HVAC system, but there's a lot of buyer beware. You have to kick the tires and test drive the car and do all the things you have to do. You have to get your contractor in there to look at it, right? You know, that's another interesting point, whether it's, you know, HVAC, the boiler system itself, the heat, you might have a furnace in a building that's 25 years old and you sign a lease and it's the middle of winter. And now crazy times where, you know, certain people and, and, and the trades are not available. They got long waiting lists to go service people. And mm -hmm. you could be out of business for days before something gets fixed. If you didn't inspect all of these things, there's so many things to look at. There's so many potential pitfalls out there. So it certainly helps to have a professional in your corner. Do you still see common area maintenance charges or is that now built into a lease? You know, Because 25 years ago, I had a cam charge that was sort of an eye opener for me when we were negotiating this lease. We didn't take that space, but it was like, okay, it's 15 bucks a square foot. And by the way, now you're paying an extra $3 a square foot to shovel the, you know, shovel the walkways and clean the windows and, you know, landscape and all that kind of stuff. And we're like, wow, that's crazy. What do you see now? If, if a property has cam charges, common area maintenance fees, yeah. that means it's a triple net lease. Okay, so there's there's basically there's really two kinds of leases. There's a gross lease. A gross lease is where you pay. Let's let's say you agree to pay eight thousand a month. 
Mm-hmm. You pay 8000 a month, no matter how much the snow removal cost is. You pay 8000 a month, no matter what, how many times they mow the lawn, okay. whatever it happens to right. be. You don't want a gross lease. Only 5% of leases are gross leases. 95% are triple net leases. The triple net, the three ends, is the same thing as the CAM, the common area main. It means the same thing. Okay. And so if you, if you, your restaurant occupies 12% of a building, then you're responsible for your proportionate share, which is 12% of the common area maintenance charges. That's the kind of lease you do want. It is the most common. 95% of leases are triple net lease. You can't get away from them. The, the short reasoning for this is that if you go to, if you're on a gross lease, Roger, and you go to the landlord and say, God, how come you're only cutting the lawn once a week? It looks terrible. It looks good for a week. And then for three yeah. weeks, it looks shabby, right? He doesn't want to spend his money. It's a gross lease. He thinks he's spending his money to mow the lawn. But if you've got a triple net lease where there's common area maintenance charges, then the landlord will mow the lawn as often as the tenants want because he's spending the tenant's money. Oh, yes. Not his own money. So there's a lot more to this than meets the eye. And, you know, we haven't even talked about phantom space where, you know, I remember this uh, restaurant tenant calling me up and saying, uh, you know, how do I, my, the landlord's telling me I've got 3000 square feet. And I said, how do he says, how do I know it's 3000? I said, well, first of all, it's probably not 3000. That would be kind of a random, that almost sounds like an approximation. It's three. If he told yeah. you it was 2,947.5 square feet, you kind of, well, somebody must've measured it, right? How did they come up with that odd number? Right. And, and, Restaurant tenants are notorious for paying for phantom space. This is square footage they don't have. You know, the landlord's collecting rent on 107% of the building. We yes. can't collect rent on more than 100% of the building, right? So we, I literally earned hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, Roger, over the past 30 years, remeasuring tenant space. Because what happens is when we catch a discrepancy, when we see that the tenant has overpaid on, uh, let's say, 90 square feet, and they've been there for seven years. Well, they might automatically get a four or $5,000 check, a refund from the landlord, and we fixed it for the future. That's on the base rent. Then they have to do the same thing on the cam. And then we yes. go and sign up all the other tenants in the plaza and measure their space too. Because something funny is going on. Found now, money. <laughs> here, here's what I want to say though, yeah. is that um, most of the square footage area discrepancies we come across we believe we're simply, we don't believe they were fraudulent. We don't believe the landlord was trying to take advantage of the tenant. I remember doing one for a client. They thought they had uh, 4,400 square feet. I measured it. They had 3,600 square feet. That's quite okay. a difference. Wow. Yeah. I made a lot of money off of that one, right? Because yeah. we, got, we got a big rebate. Now, but when I went to the landlord who happened to be attorney, he said, Dale, he said, when I bought this building three years ago, it never occurred to me to do a remeasurement. It never occurred to me that when I bought this property as an investment, the, the area measurements for the units could be wrong. But, and so he was very forthcoming and very yeah. reasonable and, and yeah. he made everybody whole, Sure, right? but it cost him a lot of money. Well, that's interesting because sure, there are unscrupulous landlords out there trying to take advantage of a situation, whether it's 100 extra square feet or 900, like your example. But then, yes, this building has changed hands and somebody buys it and it's like they never do the remeasurements of the spaces and someone could be at a disadvantage when they negotiate if the current owner of the property thinks it's this, but it's really that. Yes. So yes, buyer I, beware again, and it's a good mm-hmm. idea before you sign anything to kind of bring a tape measure along, to kind of right. do your own measurement in the space or. There's, you know, because of the pandemic, there's a lot of hurting landlords out there too. They've got mm-hmm. vacancies. 
If you can see that a landlord has vacancies, they probably also have tenants that haven't been paying all of their rent. Okay. In the past 18 months, the lease coach has had its most profitable period of time. And I'll tell you why. We, have, we literally have thousands of clients across the country. Well, when the pandemic hit and everybody had to close, and then there was all kinds of ripple effects after that, um, they would call us up and say, hey, can you get the landlord to defer some rent? Can they abate some rent? Can you help me? But, but hundreds of other tenants came to us with, with, that hadn't heard of us before, that we hadn't done their first lease for, and they needed the same help. And so um, we, we've literally, I don't want to say forced, persuaded landlords to forgive millions of dollars of rent to these tenants, okay? So not all landlords are in great shape either. Are you seeing escalation clauses in a lease, especially long-term leases? Like it's so much money for the first three years, and then it goes up in the second two years and all that kind of stuff. What do you see there? In I was on the phone with a restaurant client in California yesterday, and she got sent her new proposal from her landlord. So there was a, there was a rent increase, and then there was a 4% annual escalation. And I said to her, you're not going to be able to pay that. That's not going to work for you. Yeah. Okay? And, and be profitable. I said, you might be able to pay for it, but then you're not going to pay yourself. Right, because isn't that the way restaurants are? Often they pay their bills, then they pay themselves last. Exactly. Right, and, and, and sometimes, so, oftentimes, there's not enough left to pay yourself a decent amount of money, and you're in a situation I, that you can't get out of. I'd say about a third to half of the country expects annual escalations, annual rent increases of two, three, or four percent. But the, the the rest of the country um, may not need it. The landlords may not be in a position to you know to get it, and they're just happy to they're just happy to collect the regular rent, let alone annual increases. It's important to understand that the, it, it's kind of bogus that a landlord wants a tenant to pay an extra 3% or 4% per year in perpetuity because the, the landlord's mortgage didn't get any more expensive. The this landlord's already got them on a triple net lease. So the tenants are paying all the cam. So this is all profit for the landlord, right? The, the landlord can't say, well, I have extra expenses. So your rent has to go up. No, you don't. Your expenses yesterday are going to be the same expenses as tomorrow. But vacancy plays into that too, because if you've got multiple mm -hmm. spaces that have been sitting and not generating any income, then you sort of have to leverage all your properties. You got some winners, you got some dogs. It's like, you know, the vacancy yeah. factors in. When, when I used to work for landlords, if we, if we saw a really desirable tenant, Roger, that we wanted to have in the building mm -hmm. and they were kind of balking at the cam charges, yeah. okay, we would give them a special deal where, so let's say the cam charges were supposed to be $8 per square foot. Mm -hmm we might let them pay $5 per square foot and we would subsidize $3 per square foot on their behalf just to get that tenant into the, into the plaza. Cause we know if they came in their, their big brand, their yeah. name will be it's responsible for bringing three or three or four or more tenants will yeah. want to come in right beside, you yeah, know, it's so often sense. my restaurant clients say, I want to be right beside Starbucks. And I say, well, do you, because do you really want to have no parking? Do you really want to be beside Starbucks with no parking? Right. Cause good who's point. going to be the parking hog? Yeah. Good point. Let's talk about evaluating spaces because that came up and you said the leverage is that you're negotiating multiple leases simultaneously. What are the key things that you should be looking at when you look at space A versus B versus C? You're going to look at all these properties with the same set of eyes, but it's like, what are the, what are the things you most should look at? Is there a checklist that you have? Are there certain key things that you absolutely should not miss? What would you the say? Typ the, the typical answer is 
you know, if you were talking to a broker, they would say, well, you've got to, you know, check for how many cars are driving by every day. Yep, what's, the, what's the, what's the income level of the, you know, the income level of the, the surrounding area and, and those types of things. But that's something the tenant can check for themselves. And, and it's and often the city will provide that information and some brokerages even provide it. But I wrote an article once, Roger, that was titled uh, 10, 10, 10 questions to ask the, the real estate agent before you sign a lease agreement. Okay. And that's, that's part of my checklist. And one yeah, of the questions right. I ask is who was the last, who were the last, so, so I, I'm looking at this. So I call up a real estate agent. I say, you know, um, are you interested in having this, you know, restaurant in your space? Yes, we are. It's okay. Uh, we're going to come out and see it on Tuesday. And I say, tell me this, how long have you been the listing agent for this property? He said, well, the, we, I, he said, I have the listing for two years. I say, okay. So who were the last two tenants to move out of this property? And he says, well, he says, you know, he said the dry cleaner moved out about three months ago and the taco place moved out about a year ago. I mean, can you tell me, did they close or did they relocate? He said, well, the dry cleaner moved down the street, but the taco place closed for good. Okay. Of so I, can phone, I can phone the dry cleaner and say, how come you moved? What do you know about this landlord? My client's going to find out next year. Okay. But then I'll say uh, part of my 10 questions, I'll say to the real estate agent, who were the last two tenants to move in to this plaza? Right. And he says, well, the dentist moved in about seven months ago and the, 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 the martial arts studio moved in about a year ago. Well, guess what, Roger? Pick up the phone, walk in their front door, start talking to them. How was your experience when you signed your lease with this landlord? Did they, did they pay your tenant allowance on time or did you have to chase them for it? Good point. What issues did you yeah. came up from this? Right. I was negotiating a lease renewal for a, for a client in, um, in a fairly major city. And the first time I went to see her, the space right next to her, Roger, was vacant. Okay, She was coming off of a 10-year term and the space next to her was vacant. When I came back to see her a couple of months later, the space next to her was occupied. There was literally a tenant in the space, right? And, and, and I'm not shy. So I pulled out a business card. I walked into that space and I introduced, you know, how you can always you walk, walk into a restaurant. You can tell who, who the workers are and who the owners are and that of type of thing. And yep. I said, and he was standing over there by the counter. And I said, um, you know, my name's Dale Willerton. I'm a lease consultant and I'm working with one of your fellow tenants on their, on their lease renewal in this property. And I said, by the way, congratulations, your store looks great. He'd only got it partially. It was a retail store. So he'd only had it partially merchandised. I know he'd only been open for a couple of days and he had two customers and I was standing there chatting him up. And I said, you know, since you've just gone through the leasing process, would you mind sharing with me how the experience was for you? It's a landlord good to work with. I you know, sort of prompted him. He said, you know, I don't really have time to talk to you, but he reached under his counter he pulled out his lease agreement and said, here, look for yourself. I said, well, thank you. I think I will. And I took his lease agreement. Well, he went and helped these two customers. I went to the court. I could see his rent, his tenant allowance. I could see if he gave a personal guarantee, his deposit. I could see all the business terms of his lease agreement. Now, do you think that helped me negotiate my client's lease renewal next door? Of course it did, because yeah, his yeah. was a recent deal, right? Of course. And and tenants don't do this. And, and sometimes you have to be careful, because if a tenant does a bad deal, they won't necessarily tell you they did a bad deal. They, they'll, they'll 
they'll lie to you or they'll, they'll give you misinformation. Um, so, but in this particular case, I was able to see the lease agreement and I knew what his deal was. So when I went back and negotiated my client's lease renewal next door, I was able to per- pull her lease in line because the landlord wanted her to pay a lot more. Oh, right? see, of course. Right? Because she's not, where's she going to go? She's not going anywhere. Yeah, I can help her go somewhere if she needs to, right? Because if, if she moved across the street, another landlord would give her a big juicy tenant allowance to attract her into that space. Because there is a lot of truth to the fact, but it's pockets of pockets of of the country where um, landlords are almost giving away space. Okay. I, I, I became aware of a situation, this is not my client, but I became aware of a situation yesterday where a failed restaurant owner was approached by a landlord to um, cooperate with them and open up a restaurant in their building. Okay. And they were going to jointly sort of own it and work together on it apparently or something like that. And I thought that that landlord really need, you know, that was not the landlord's first choice. The landlord doesn't want to be in the restaurant business. They must really need a restaurant if they're bringing in someone that failed to duplicate a concept in their building. Because the restaurant food service and coffee, Roger, is an amenity to a plaza. It's an amenity to a property. The, the, the popularity of a property often revolves around if there's good places to eat. Yes, I totally see. I totally agree with that. Well, I'm getting the sense that it absolutely pays to work with an expert such as yourself based on what you've been able to achieve for your past clients. You know, it's not a cost. It's an investment in savings in the future and in getting a better deal. So you've, well, you've done a tremendous service being on the podcast today. Well, so well thank you. Thank you. This, this really is my passion. This is exactly what I was supposed to be doing with my life. And I, and, and part of the reason I'm successful is I have fun at it, but I'm very objective. And, and if, if my client has unreasonable expectations, if the restaurant tenant thinks he should get this, this, and this, I'll be straight with them. You know, I'm no, nobody's yes, man. I can, I can, I can, because I'm not working on a commission. Mm-hmm. I get paid. Sometimes I earn my whole fee by stopping the restaurant owner from signing the wrong lease, making a mistake. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I say to you, know, how much is it going to cost you to hire me or how much will it cost you if you don't hire me? How much are you going to leave on the table? And I do a little thing at my, at my seminars, Roger, where at, at the end of my seminar to demonstrate this, that, it, that using a professional lease consultant is not an expense. It's an investment in your, in your restaurant. I will ask people in the audience, does anybody have a, you know, a, a, a $1 bill? And somebody will put up, and I say, bring it up here. And they bring it, come up with a $1 bill. And I, give, I, I trade them. I give them a 10 and they give me a one. And does anybody else have a $1? Well, now everybody's got so someone else. Got, and they give me a one and I give them a five. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I see, that's what it's like when you hire the lease coach. We're giving you far more value that's than awesome. you're actually paying us. 50% of what you're paying us for is to negotiate the financial terms, but 50% is to work on the formal lease agreement. Very few of our clients use an attorney or want to use an attorney. Okay. The legality of the lease is not really in question, but they want someone who's done this a few thousand times. Yeah, for sure. Know, you know, to do it for them. Therein lies the value. If any of our audience are interested in working with you or just getting more information, should they just go to theleasecoach.com or is there another way to contact you? Two preferred ways. If you go to theleasecoach.com, you can actually request a complimentary copy of this book. Oh, okay, fantastic. Book, a, book, book, book a consult with me. I won't sell it to you. I'll send it to you for free. 
Okay? Yeah. And there's a form. You just fill out the form and it'll say, um, you know, would you like a consult? Would you like a copy of our rate sheet of our services and fees? And, and would you like a free book? And That's check awesome. all those boxes and we send it out. But you can email me, Dale Willerton at theleasecoach.com. Dale Willerton at theleasecoach.com as well. And, and you'll get, a, you'll, you'll get a, a personal response from myself. And, uh, um, you know, I'm very giving with my time. Sometimes they only need a few minutes on the phone to kind of yeah. ask a couple of quick questions, but more often than not, they need the, the full enchilada. They need, they, they need some help from a professional, you know, uh, tenants don't get what they deserve. They get what they negotiate, Roger. That, that is a famous phrase. I've heard that before, but it is absolutely true. And what a great way to end the podcast. Well, thanks so much, Dale. You've offered us tremendous value today and you've been giving very generous offers um, in the consultation and the free book. So obviously uh, we'll pass that on in the show notes as well as what we've heard in the episode today. Thanks Thank everyone you, for tuning in. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast and we'll see you all in the next episode. Stay well, everyone. And thank you very much, Dale. Thank you, Dale, for being with us on the podcast. You shared so much expertise and knowledge and just great advice on negotiating a lease, something that most operators are going through or will go through, especially at renewal time. Or if it's their first restaurant and they're going into a space. Again, valuable information. Thank you. Thanks also to the sponsors of this week's episode, Pop Menu, Smithfield Culinary, Devo, and Serve the restaurant training app at srvnow.com. Can't wait to see you in the next episode. Stay tuned and don't miss it. People go to restaurants for lots of reasons. What the customer doesn't know is the thousands of details it takes to run a great restaurant. This is a high-risk, high-fail business. It's a treacherous road and smart operators need a professional guide. I'm Roger. I've started many highly successful, high-profit restaurants. I'm passionate about helping other owners and managers not just succeed, but knock it out of the park. You don't just want to run a restaurant, you want to dominate your competition and create a lasting legacy. Join the Academy and I'll show you how it's done. Thanks for listening to, to the, the Restaurant, Restaurant Rockstars, Rockstars Podcast. Podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.